you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. chapter 15. I want you to read this slowly with me tonight and allow the word of the Lord to sink in and settle into our spirit. Romans chapter 15, verse number one. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification, not ours, but his. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of Scripture might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you, here's what it, here's what request here is Romans chapter 15, grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that you may be of with one mind and one mouth, glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, wherefore receive ye one another as Christ also received us glory of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, for as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. I've already prompted Brother Nick tonight, and he's going to stay with me through this lesson, and I'm going to be jumping around in some scripture, and I have several other scriptures to bring, and many of those he'll put on the, on the, the screen tonight, uh, particularly for those of you who are note takers and uh, want to get the scriptures down that that we are using. We started last week. We are talking about, if this is your first week, let me catch you up. We are talking about the solution to self, the solution to self. We started last Wednesday, Sunday morning. I felt the Lord lead me in a direction. And uh, with the help of the Lord, we're going to teach this lesson tonight. And then I will wrap up on Sunday morning with a, uh, a contention.
continuation of the message that I have started, and this series will wrap up, and then we'll move toward Christmas. But tonight, we're going to talk about the solution to self. Last week, we started with the same subject. We started talking about, I opened the lesson last week by talking about Stephen Covey's book entitled The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, in which he describes the ingredients that would make regular people become successful people. And from that principle, of course, we looked into Scripture to to consider some things that would make uh, CLC, our church, an extraordinary church. And so I worked towards some principles that may make us an extra, extraordinary church, not just run-of-the-mill. So first we talked about buying into the vision. We started there last week and how there can only be one vision. Um, anything more than one vision is division. And I asked the question of what kind of church do we want CLC to be? And I pinned a few words that I shared with you last week, and um, I, I, I have not really had the time. I've been working on so many things this week that I haven't had the time to elaborate on any of this, but I'm just going to share what I wrote last week so that it may help you in understanding uh, where we are and, and what our thought process is. And uh, this is kind of a question uh, that I would love to ask each one of you. If I were in a small group, I mentioned last week, I think this would be very doable in a small group setting of six to ten people to ask each one of you, um, what kind of church would you like CLC to be? Uh, as the pastor, I just pinned a few words and certainly did not elaborate and probably didn't make it uh, through every thought that I have toward the church. I just spent a few minutes last Wednesday writing down and said, let's make this a, a safe place, a stable place, a place that can stand the test of time, but also a place where we can come and breathe easy and not increase pressure and stress. And that's a mouthful for us to for us to do. A place where we can share our burdens and be our brother's keeper. In other words, sharing in their burden. A place where weeping only endures for a night, but also a place where joy can be found. And I've talked a lot about finding joy in the journey and the joy in serving, recognizing that it is a privilege to serve. And if we ever lose the idea that it's a privilege to serve, the joy of serving goes away. We start feeling like we are entitled to serve, and the joy of serving goes away. So we don't always have to weep and crawl on our hands and knees to the altar, but there should be some times that we stand, we lift our hands, and we rejoice, we dance, and we shout, and we Rejoice in the Lord, a place where we can laugh together and find joy in serving Jesus Christ together. We talked about our second point last week as we talk about, talked about ways, we're talking about ways, uh, the solution to self and how to, how to conquer self uh, when it comes to the church, keeping self under subjection. The second thing we talked about was seeking first to understand 
and then seeking to be understood. And I took that directly out of Stephen Covey's book, although we didn't teach out of, out of Covey's book, but we talk, I used that principle of his uh, in order for us to, to understand the importance of us understanding others. We are many members, uh, but we're one body. And so we have to understand the hand can't say to the foot that I don't need you. The eye can't say to the ear that I don't need you. So we need to understand each other's roles, each other's background, where they can't. We need to know one another in order to be able to um, work together. And then when we know others, then they can know us. So seek first to understand before we ask to be understood. Listen to the thoughts and feelings of others and then try to communicate your own thoughts and feelings on the subject. The third solution to self that we talked about last week is synergizing. And this is a point that I elaborated on for a while last week where we talked about where two or more people come together to produce more than any one person can produce. There's a biblical, uh, several biblical examples of this but uh, one can put a thousand to flight and two, not two thousand, two ten thousand. And so that is called synergizing. That's where we come together and understand when we are looking for ideas or thoughts that not one of us are as smart as all of us. And not one of us can do what a multiplicity of us can do. That's why we believe in team ministries and moving into team ministries. And I'm going to tell you, that the church world, particularly the apostolic church world, is not far removing from individualized ministries. And the reason that we have, this is my belief, now I didn't get this out of a book, this is just what my experience tells me, and it is the reason that we struggle so much to operate at high levels as a team within the church is because many of us, even in my generation and in my lifetime, um, the church operated, um, I, I wish I had a, an, an old-fashioned board up here, uh, something that I shared with our leadership a long, long time ago. Um, I'm not sure how I can do this. Maybe I can do this with my handkerchief for you to understand. This is not really a, uh, a triangle, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll use it as such. If this, ladies and gentlemen, if this triangle represented a graph of the church, typically the way most churches operated up until uh, perhaps the, the, the 70s or 80s, particularly past uh, the 50s and 60s into the 70s and 80s, um, maybe a lot of churches into the 90s and 2000s, uh, few churches today can survive in the climate of society uh, with the old mentality of leadership and the way that churches function. And that is that a church, if this was a model of a church, that what we have is the pastor uh, is at the center wheel of the church. So if we were to put this on, on wheels so we can move the church along, the pastor is at the center wheel of the church. And so he's constantly... And so the pastor has his hands up all the time, and we preach sermons about uh, who was it, Aaron and her, that held up the hands of Moses. Uh, because His hands had to be up in order to keep things balanced, right? 
And so it, it seemed like a good principle. And so he's balancing the church to keep the church from getting out of balance. And he is like a big wheel that is right in the middle. And if the church moves, it has to move along with the pastor. And so he gets an errand and a her around him, and the church grows to a certain point. Then there was a point. Now, this was perhaps, uh, I didn't go back and look at notes. I didn't plan to share this with you, this illustration with you tonight. Um, so the inspiration of the Holy Ghost is upon me, and I'm just sharing what uh, came to my mind tonight. And so there was a point when I felt the Lord uh, inspired me to take a different approach to a leadership model where everybody answers directly to the pastor. Everything that happens, happens uh, with the pastor. And if the church is to move, it has to be centered uh, on the pastor. The pastor is always overloaded, always stressed, always has more to do than he can do. The church can't move along. And so some of you may remember, because I shared this with you over in the Delphi Avenue building uh, at least beyond 10 years ago, maybe 12 or 15 years ago. Uh, the Lord inspired me to consider taking uh, the same church, but we just flipped the model over. And when we flipped the model over, the pastor's still busy as can be. He's right in the center of everything that happens, but leaders are brought along, and he puts leaders not above him, not below him, but he puts leaders beside him. And so while he is calling the shots uh, of where we're going, when we're, we're rowing and we're rowing together, and so uh, those of you that may have been here when I shared this leadership principle will remember me using the example of um, the, the Olympics and the rowing in the Olympics where there is one person and his job is to keep everybody else operating in sync and in rhythm, not one paddling ahead of the other, paddling harder than the other, but he is speaking uh, into the into to what they're doing, he is coaching them into rowing and working together, and so that's where all of the leaders and ministries of the church fill out alongside the pastor. That creates a much more balanced church. Does that make sense? And so the members that are new people, new members, people that are coming into the church that may not be ready to step into leadership. Uh, roles. They may not be ready to serve on a board, on a committee, uh, in a platform ministry, in a pulpit ministry, uh, in, a, in, a, in a teaching class, teaching Bible studies, wherever it may be. They may not be ready to serve and lead a team uh, per se here. Um, they are built into uh, the same church. The message hasn't changed. It's just the leadership principles have changed. And so we get used to working together. So instead of the pastor looking like he's carrying it all and having a flat tire and nothing moves, everybody's together. So when, when one member is down, the rest of the church picks up his load. Does that make sense? And so that, was a, that, that, is, that is called synergizing. That is, that is synergy where more than one person works together. There's more than one idea. And so we're working together. Of course, I understand the biblical responsibility of a pastor. Uh, I understand my role as a pastor. I understand the fivefold ministry and the gift of the church. But when we're talking about ministry leadership, uh, 
when, when it comes to synergizing and working together, it is a principle in which that the church is able to move, do more, accomplish more, and work together. Now, I said all of that because I started making a statement that the church is not too far removed from the old model of where everything revolves around one person. And so if you get that mentality into this leadership structure, you have a problem because all the wheels have to be the same size. Because if one, if you got one big wheel in the middle of all the little wheels, you got a problem. You don't have to be a rocket surgeon to understand that. You don't have to be an engineer to understand that. So all the wheels need to be the same size, turn at the same pace, so that the gears work together. And so that's called synergizing. And so as the pastor, it's my role to see that we're working together, working in harmony, we're paddling together, and we're building a structure, but we remain one body. And the apostolic authority of the church, I understand it, it, it and recognize the responsibility that is on me. There's some jobs that nobody else can do for me. There's some things that only I can do. It's sent by God. It is a, it is a responsibility of the pastor. And when we, when we get this right, we will accomplish more than any one of us would ever be able to accomplish on our own. And so that's why uh, someone, Dylan shared a little something with me the other night. Someone came to him and spoke to him regarding the Spanish, our Spanish ministry. And my goodness, they're doing wonderful. They had 37 at their last event. And we're super excited about what God is doing in Spanish ministry. Someone, not in our church now, this is, a, this is an outside person that knows nothing about the fact that we are, our goal and our mission is to build a multicultural church. And I thank God for that. That's what we ought to do. This is the culture of Christ, not the culture of America or Mexico or Spain or France. It is the culture of Christ. And so we, we are one body, fitly framed together. So somebody came to Dylan a few weeks ago and made a, or a few days ago and made a statement to him, not in the church, not connected here, so don't try to figure this one out. Uh, you'll never get this one right. Dylan just shared it with me, and I'm, I'm sure they were well-meaning, but they don't have the vision. What they have is they have a concept of the way the church ought to be ran. And so this well-meaning person came to Dylan and said, well, the Spanish church needs to move out, be autonomous, and go do its own thing. Dylan came to me and said, I'm a little shocked that this individual came and made that statement. Now, Dylan and I both know, and we've talked about it. There's no way possible that, number one, that's not even our vision. Our vision is to be one. That's our vision. I'm, I'm all for planting churches. There's a lot of pl places that need churches. Frankfurt has four apostolic churches uh, right now. And so I don't know that Frankfurt needs another church. Frankfurt just needs some soul winners. And I rejoice. I saw uh, Brother Oriana made a post today about uh, a new family that is in his church. I saw several of you that, that liked that on social media. I liked it. You know why? We're not in competition with Brother Oriana and Zion Tabernacle. We're not in competition with them. We want to support them. We're laborers together. I don't want their church members, and they're not trying to take our church members. We're laborers together in a small city, and it does take. You, you've got to have a right spirit in order to be able to do that. And Brother Price said to me when I first came here regarding uh, Brother Hackler, he 
said, Brother Jordan, I'm going to tell you, man, uh, Brother Hackler and I served, served together for 30-something years. I don't recall the exact number. And he said, we've never had one moment's problem. And he said, I'm going to tell you that you can look around the world. You'll never have a better neighboring pastor than Brother Robert Hackler. And I found that to be true. And Brother Hussey came, and we served beside Brother Hussey, and we even became friends. And, uh, and I appreciate that so much. And Brother Oriana is here now as pastor. We want to keep that relationship. Before he ever came to pastor, he called me. He said, I will not even come to your town if you have any reservations. I said, Brother Oriana, they need a pastor. Come on. We're going to work together, and I appreciate that. That is called synergy in the kingdom. Because we've got to work together. We have a huge event, an impact event. I will sit down and talk to Brother Oriana about it. Because we're, without a doubt, we're going to reach over. I'll invite him to come pray in the altars and whatever, be part of what we're doing because this is about the kingdom. This is about the kingdom. And so understanding synergy, uh, we have to lose the big wheel mentality. We have to lose the big I mentality, what I'm doing, and making it all about me. All right, let me move along. We, we kind of wrapped up. We looked at Hebrews chapter 10, how the Apostle Paul pointed out the fourth solution to self. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 24, here's what he said, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Now, consider one another. And I ask the question, what does it mean to consider one another? And we spent a lot of time here, and I'm not going to reteach it. I challenge you to go back and listen to last Wednesday if you have interest. Uh, it will help you understand and put what we're going to wrap up with tonight in, uh, in proper perspective. So how do we provoke one another unto love and good works. How do we provoke to love? How do we provoke to good works? So I looked up the word provoke and interesting. Um, up until today, I'm not sure that I realized that we actually have a biblical perspective on a positive attitude and a negative attitude. I've always just left that to, well, that's just a state of somebody's being and some people are just negative by nature. And I'm not sure that I ever recognized until today that there is a biblical mandate about being positive to one another because the word provoke, I can, I can read it to you if you would like. Um, I, I, looked up, I looked up the word provoke, provoking one another to see exactly what it said, and it said approaching a subject, a matter, a, a, a role, a job, a duty, a responsibility with enthusiasm and passion. If you were to go back to the original and take that word and translate it, it means to provoke to provoke means to, to push on somebody, to push them toward doing something with a positive attitude, with a positive spirit. So provoking one another is giving them a little, a little 
encourage your positivity. Not being negative, not speaking ill, not trying to find the fault, not trying to find, but speaking positively about, positively about whatever it is that we are doing. Provoking them first to love. So we, we must provoke one another. Speak positive to one another about loving one another. My brothers and sisters, I love you. I don't have aught against anybody in this room tonight. Matter of fact, I don't have aught against anybody that I know of. If I do, I want to make it right because I believe I have to do that in order to be saved. And I want to provoke you to love. I want to tell you that the best way that you can live your life is to live your life loving one another. If you've got odd against your brother, get rid of that. Get it out. Love them. Love them. And that's not just a word. We've tried to move this in Christianity into, well, I'll love them, but no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about love them, love them with the love of Christ. Be willing to go the extra mile. So love them and provoke them also to good works. And so... When somebody does something, I, there was uh, someone that, that made a big step here a few days ago, and I was so very proud to watch some of the men in the church rally and say, good job, and find ways to compliment and promote and say positive things about the great giant step that someone took. And while it may not be the all in all, it may not be salvation in of itself, but it was good works. Does that make sense? So it's good work. So we're provoking one another by finding ways to address it positively. Somebody, somebody learns and begins to make the, the, the progress of change toward holiness, outward holiness, of dress, of attitude, of modesty, of, 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 of either look, a man looking like a man and a woman looking like a woman, and they make a change in a positive direction. This is where the elders of the church ought to find a way to compliment Provoke them to good works. Say something positive about it. And encourage them to continue. So that's how we provoke to love and to good works. So the question here is, are we developing a habit of living a life of faith with an eye to the faith of others? Considering one another. Developing a habit, a habit of living our life of faith with our eye constantly on those that are around us and we consider them to be others. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, not pleasing ourselves. Let one another please his neighbor for the good and edification. This is what it means to be Christian. So being careful not to intentionally hurt, offend, but to speak positively, to encourage one another, provoke one another. Let every one of us please his neighbor for, for the good of, and to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself. So it is a Christian attribute. Because Jesus Christ didn't please himself, instead he pleased us. It pleased him to please us. So I move tonight into the, 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 um, the fifth solution to self. And I'm going to move through about uh, three solutions tonight, and I'll try to be wrapped up here in the next uh, 20 
45 minutes or so, uh, so we can be done around 8.15 is my goal. So the fifth solution to self is developing a sincere study of Scripture. Now, when I use the word sincere, I first have to tell you the word sincere come, is a biblical word that comes that, that means in its original form, without wax. It is speaking of the potter of pottery that would be cracked and marred, and instead of that pottery being put back on the potter's wheel, broken, the clay being put back through the process and being remade, they would take wax and they would spin the vessel and they would put hot wax on the vessel to where it made the vessel appear to be perfect, but it won't hold water. Because when the water is put in it after time, the wax does not hold the water, and the water will begin to flow out. Sincere means without wax, meaning that your life will hold water without wax. It's integrity. It's being on the inside what we appear to be on the outside. It is speaking the same thing whether you're in front of them or behind their back. It is being willing to speak the same things. Romans chapter 15 verse number 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written, there's a purpose for it, it was written for our learning that we may through patience, without patience you're not going, you're not going to find this, but through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. This is the reason why our messages often are messages that are filled with hope. Because the scripture, the scripture, preaching, teaching, there should be a level of comfort in them that brings hope to us. There's times it's lessons, messages, Bible studies are sent for the, the work of ministry is to reprove. That means to teach things that are contrary to our thinking, to correct, to reprove, then to rebuke. To rebuke is a strong word that none of us like a rebuke. To reprove and rebuke. But then there's other words that are given to the ministry. Also to exhort. That word means to build up and to lift up. That is the comfort of Scripture. That is Scripture that thrills you and fills you and helps you to know, hey, I'm getting a few things right here. And so the goal the goal, particularly of my ministry as the pastor and of the pastors of the church that teach and preach here, the ministers that come through, our goal is to fulfill this ministry. I try to bring balance. If, if I bring a strong word that may be a word of correction, I try to bring, before I bring a word of correction, I usually try to bring a word of understanding. So I bring a word of understanding before I bring the word of correction. So we understand why then the word of correction comes, and then comes the word that builds up and says, now, don't be defeated by the correction, but let's correct what's wrong, get our lives back together, and let's keep going. So we can't always 
be up cheerleading people and telling people, come on, you can make it, you can make it, you can make it. And if that's the only thing ever preached, if we become what some national uh, preachers do and tell everybody every service, well, we're just a bunch of winners together with a bunch of winners and uh, we're all just going to be winners and, and nobody's wrong and, and, and we're all right and everything's good and that's all you ever receive, you're not going to grow. So we have to receive the sincere, without wax, the sincere word of God that is sharp. It cuts asunder to the joint and the mire. To It, it, it cuts, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. So it cuts into our life. It cuts away. Here's what the scripture said. The letter killeth. Oh, that's a strong word. The letter killeth. The letter killeth. But the spirit maketh alive. So there's times for us to teach, but if all we do is teach and preach, we can become fat on the Word of God, but we don't exercise the Spirit. That's why it's okay once in a while for us to have a service. We're not preaching tonight. We're just going to worship God. We're just going to rejoice. We're going to dance. We're going to shout. We're going to celebrate. That's in order because the Spirit needs to bring life. There ought to be some apostolics in this church that say amen to what I'm teaching right now. We need the Spirit and the Word, and they must agree. They must agree. So we, through patience and comfort of Scripture, might have hope. Scriptural preaching and teaching brings about spiritual maturity. Good churches are not built on hype. They're not built on good music programs. Nothing wrong with them. I thank God for that we have a wonderful music program. They're working so hard right now. They're getting ready for our Christmas program, and I'm thrilled at the number of outsiders that are reaching out. I answered questions online today with people reaching out. When is your service? What time does it start? Where is your building located? We're going to come. People we've never met before. Uh, people in the restaurant. Our waitress in the restaurant Sunday night came running up to me and said, I didn't know that you knew the pews and the abbots. Well, we're coming to church with you. Me and my husband, we've been trying to get her to come for two or three years. Here she's coming to the Christmas program with her husband. Thank God for that. Different people's coming. I got guests coming. I've got guests coming. This is what it's all about. We're not doing a Christmas program just to show off our talents and abilities. But we'll do whatever we have to do to get people inside the door of this church so we can show them the love of Christ, reach out to them, and try to plant a seed that may make them return again and again until God does a work in their heart. And he may do a work in their heart right here. Because this past year, year before last one, in the last two years, in one such service that we had, someone was filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name at a Christmas service on Sunday morning. And so we pray those things happen. That's what our Monday night prayer is about. We come, we're praying for revival, we're praying for harvest, we're praying for these things to come to pass. And so the word is important. Preaching and teaching is important. I still believe that preaching and teaching ought to be reverenced in the house of God. We ought to reverence that time of preaching and teaching. Our altar service is not a time for us to, to, to disengage. The altar service ought to be the time that we come. That's where Zion travails and brings forth children. 
And so that's where we come. Our, we need to engage in altar calls. That doesn't mean you're a, a sinner uh, that's on your way to hell because you're the first one at the altar. Uh, I don't worry about those that come to the altar every service. I worry about those you can't get to the altar. So we need to get to the altar every service that we may inspire and provoke someone to love and good works. Come on to the altar with me. This is a good place to go. It's not scary. It's not odd. It's not strange. So God gives his word for our benefit. The word sustains spiritual life. Paul states in our text that the scripture is for our learning, it is to comfort us, and it is to give us hope. Number six, the sixth solution to self. We're talking about ways of conquering self. The sixth solution to self is we need to develop like-mindedness. Be like-minded. Now, I need a whole lot of time here that I don't have, so I'm going to try to move and stay with my notes. Let's read this, Romans chapter 10, verse number 5 and 6. Romans 10, 5 and 6. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. Now catch that, according to Christ Jesus. That you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is where we start making full circle with our lesson. How do we become like-minded when we are all so different? How do we become like-minded when we're all so different? We all come from different backgrounds. I sit down sometimes, start listening to somebody, and I'm thinking I have no idea what they just said. They're talking from a whole different world. I sat down to somebody, started talking technical things about cell phones and computers and technology and my mind almost just goes and I'm just like just show me where to push the button I go in to buy and they're like well what are all the features you're looking for on your phone the phone well let me tell you about the camera that's good I need a phone a phone with a camera is good I don't need all kind of features I just need a phone that's me. Those under 40 have a whole different idea. When they were born, cell phones were a thing. I remember when Annette and I married, I moved up. My father-in-law had a phone that he carried, a great big huge phone. He carried in like this, this satchel, this briefcase thing, and it sat in his truck. And he would allow me to call Annette, but I had to be real short because he would remind me it cost a dollar a minute to talk on this thing. It had an antenna with a, that we would roll down the window and take the antenna, stick it on the top of his truck. I mean, we were cool. My father-in-law had a cell phone. I could borrow it. That's when I got married, 1990. That's how fast times change that now I walk to the platform to preach and have it here. While I'm preaching, text messages are coming through. People are communicating. Emails are being received. I can potentially communicate with people anywhere in the world just by picking it up and hitting two or three 
two or three clicks and we're around the world communicating with people in real time. Never would have dreamed it in 1990, 33 years later. Look how how fast time changes. I come from a different era. What about those that are much older than me? What about the whole generation that walked uphill both ways to school in the snow in the middle of summer with no shoes? Different generations. But pastor's up telling us we're to be like-minded. No, the scripture tells us we're to be like-minded according to Jesus Christ. Paul wanted to be very clear. This isn't me according to Jesus Christ. That this is where this whole lesson starts making full circle and dots start being uh, 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 appearing back to where we even started. How do we become like-minded when we're so different? Because it is not your mind, nor it is about my thoughts and my ways. It's not my ideas or your ideas. It's not my intellect versus yours. It's not my way or the highway. This is where we can get ourselves in trouble. Well, this is my area of expertise. Lose it. This is where I excel. Lose it. Bathe it in the blood. And pick up his heart and his mind and his spirit. And when we get over self, then God can use our talents and abilities and experiences and can use them for his glory. Talking to someone the other day. Been through dark, dark, dark days in their life. Suffering pain and agony and grief. Little did they know. You know what? God's working something into them that they could not have any other way. Let me just say it like this. Until you deal and face the death of a loved one and somebody really close to you, you really don't understand. You can't empathize. You can sympathize, but you cannot empathize with someone who is losing someone that is very close to them until you lose someone that's very close to you. That's where you transition from sympathizing to empathy. Sympathizing says, oh, well, I'm sorry. I hate you're going through that. But the point that empathy comes is when, boom, it hits you right in the heart and you feel the pain that they're feeling. I never understood this until I was 30 years old. I felt a call to ministry at 19 from the time I was 19 until the time I was 30. I preached funerals. I stood by by, by people's bedside. I experienced things of grief and heartache and pain, but I never understood what they were going through until I dealt with the death of my mother. Afterwards, for the last 26 years, I can hardly get through a funeral, even if I'm called to go do a funeral of somebody I don't know and my wife is my witness. I can hardly get through the funeral without shedding a tear without choking back tears. You know why? It's not because I knew the individual. It's because I know the pain that that family is feeling. I understand it. I've walked there. 
there's nothing like it until you experience it. And sometimes we experience pain and grief and heartache and trouble. And we wonder, why God, why am I going through this? Because he's preparing you to be able to minister to others. But maybe it doesn't come through hard knocks and hardship. Maybe it comes through you get an education and experience. Don't get high and lofty and lifted up. Put it in the, in the hands of the Lord. Keep yourself under the blood of Jesus. And then he will take your gifts and talents and he will say, now I can work through you and use you because it's not about your glory. You're doing it for my glory. Because it's not our mind, nor my thoughts or my ways, but we must have the mind of Christ. The first response of the church, especially when we don't see eye to eye, is to stop and ask ourselves the question. This would resolve every conflict in our life. Stop and ask yourself. When you sense and feel conflict, stop and ask yourself the question. What is the mind of God concerning this? If you're hurt, what is the mind of God concerning this? If you're right, what is the mind of God concerning this? If you're wrong, what is the mind of God concerning this? If you've caused the wrong, what is the mind of God concerning this? It will change everything. Because here's what the scripture says, but by pride cometh contention. There will never be contention unless pride is present. If pride is not present, you will not have contention. But the moment that contention arises, there is pride. We can all deny pride, but the Bible said, but by pride. It's the only way that contention comes. But by pride cometh contention. So when we lose ourselves in him, we find ourselves living a life of peace. This is not always easy. It's not always easy for me. A few days ago, I was fretting over a situation. Sleep avoided me most of the night for about three days. I woke up on Friday morning after having a very short sleep, and I prayed and asked God, Lord, I need you to help me. I need direction. I don't have the answer. I don't have the words. And honestly, I don't know what to do. God didn't answer me. He left me. You pray some more. Friday morning early, I awoke. I think it was around 4.30 before my wife and I finally closed our eyes. And early, like 7 o'clock, it's not far from 5, 5.30, 7 o'clock my eyes opened, startled, as if I heard somebody call my name, and I, I was startled, and immediately I felt a sense of panic come over me, like I was late, I was supposed to be doing something, I didn't know what it was, something got my attention, and I start. I was just startled. I threw back the covers, jumped up immediately, and I took the first step to head into the restroom. And the word of the Lord just 
said, your response is to ask them what was the story behind it. The Lord had my attention now. It's not like me to wake up so startled. And I didn't even know what that meant. For a moment, I was just kind of startled and I, 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 I my heart was pounding because I woke up with such, such unintention and it was just startled. And I got up and I was trying to figure out what woke me up and what I was doing and where I had to go and what I was late for. And the Lord for the next 10 minutes just started downloading things. I stepped back into my room, grabbed my phone closed the bathroom door where I wouldn't bother my wife, went immediately to my notes, put it on voice, and I just began to speak as God began just downloading. And I just started talking, and I talked, 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 and I was just downloading. And when the Lord was done, it was just as quick, and it was just like it was gone. And I didn't know what it was all about. I went back and started reading through it, and then the the lights came on, and I started recognizing, ladies and gentlemen, that is the mind of Christ, souls. At the end of the day, it's about souls. You know why we're here tonight? We're here because we're trying to make heaven. Highest priority, you and I are trying to make heaven. Number two, we're trying to take everybody we possibly can with us to heaven. Outside of that, we're not really here for the social fun, the games, the, 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 the activities. Those are all blessings and benefits, but we're trying to get to heaven. So what is my soul worth and what's the soul of others worth? Everything we do needs to be done in light of that. What is a soul worth? And if we do it with that in mind, that is the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. My reputation doesn't matter. My credit, my ego, my ego needs to go. And took upon him, this is what he did, the mind of Christ, took upon him the form of a servant. My God, my healer, my Savior, my Christ took upon himself the form of a servant. When it doesn't go my way, I need to seek to go his way. We need to be very, very cautious and careful because human nature comes into play here and if we don't keep under ourselves, if we don't keep ourselves in subjection, if we don't stay submitted to the will of God and the mind of God, we will quickly move into the realm of hum- human reasoning. And the first thing that happens, listen, these are strong words, control and manipulation. People who attempt to control others or situations, they try to control everybody, try to control everything, that's not God. People who rejoice in, well, this is how I can control. This is how I can get my way. You need to just move away from that very slowly. 
Because you know what the python does? You know what the serpent does when he moves in? You know what he does? He strikes and he tries to control. He, he, he begins to squeeze the very life out by controlling. Mm. I don't have time to get into that, but that's what he did in the garden. He took the words of God and the thoughts of Eve and he mixed them and he had a little bit of truth and a whole lot of false mixed in with it. All to control and manipulate to get his way. We need to be careful. Sin nature, human nature and sin nature is in every one of us, myself included. I, like the apostle, will say, I'm the chief among you that has a sin nature that wants to rear its head. That's why I have to stay on my face, stay in subjection to God, die daily. Because my sin nature will rise up and I will move into trying to control everything and manipulate everything. And the moment that I do, I don't have the mind of Christ any longer. I've got the mind of humanity. I quickly can move into enmity with God. But I have to take on the form of a servant. I'm closing. The seventh and final solution to self, and I'll try not to maximize this, is to receive others like Christ received us. Romans chapter 5, verse 15, verse number 7, the final verse of our text, and this will be the last time that I intend to go here. Wherefore, receive you one another as Christ also received us for the glory of God. Paul is saying, follow the example of Christ in receiving one another. When I greet somebody, when I meet somebody, when I work alongside somebody, when I'm connected to somebody, how would Christ do this? To the sinner woman that came to the well, he went and sat down and talked to her. And when she asked him questions, he knew that she had had several husbands and the one that she was with wasn't her own. He told her all about it. But he received her and offered help to her. Over this next year, as we move into 24, impact, every ministry of this in this church is going to be impacted, and we're going to make an impact. This week, this week, some unbelievable, I'm not going to steal the thunder, I'm just going to tell you there were some absolute breakthroughs. Dylan contacted my wife and I yesterday afternoon, and he was in a panic. I'm not going to share it tonight because I'm going to, I want him to share it, and we're going to rejoice on a Sunday when everybody's here to tell you a massive door that God has swung open for our church. When people are now, we're not going to them saying, hey, can we? They're coming to us saying, can you? Can your church provide this? Can you do this? Can you make this available? And when Dylan said, we have work to do, but I believe we can, they said, you're the first church to be willing to do this. You're the first church to say yes to this. I'm talking about every ministry in our church starting to be affected by one opportunity that the Lord just blew open for us. We can stand at the door and knock all day long, but God can open the door and say, you know what? We're not going to them. They're going to come to us. And on top of all of that, the government's going to pay for it and there's going to be funding that's going to come in to take care of the cost of it. And we ought to rejoice in that. We're going to win souls and the devil's going to pay for it. So we've got to learn to receive one another and we've got to receive them. Those that are not like us, 
economically, socially, relationally, not like us. We've got to receive them as Christ received us. I've got to think about that. Where was I when he saved me? Am I going to treat them the way I should have been treated? Or am I going to treat them the way that God treated me? Am I going to allow grace and mercy to be the first thing that I extend to people? Paul is saying, follow the example of Christ, receiving, receiving one another, not esteeming oneself above another, but being servants. Jesus took on the form of a servant, humbled himself to be obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Paul tells us in Philippians, this is not even the only scripture, feel you my joy that you might be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through vain strife and vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each other esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man to his own thing, but every man also to the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself to become obedient to unto death, even the death of the cross. <laughs> Lord, I, I'm feeling about this tall standing on this platform right now because the Word of God is telling me and putting me in check, putting me in order. What did that mean for the Christians in Rome? In Rome, Paul asked, if you're one of these strong Christians, and if it seems like it's asking too much of you to go out of your way to encourage and build up others, then you've got it all wrong especially when considering that Christ gave up his whole life. He didn't have to do that, but he did it. He's declaring, Christ serves as our example how we should treat one another, even those that are not like us. This is what he's talking about. Many of you get the point. You give up your right to park up front to ensure that our guests have a parking space. Some services, nobody's parked in them. We could park there. Why not? Why don't we park there? Because we are obedient. We're, we're making sure that if a guest shows up, they know we intended and we're honoring them. We're preferring one above another. We often give to help families that are in need. On rainy days, our parking lot attendants, snow's coming, wintertime's coming. They'll be standing at the door ready to park your car for you to make sure everything's okay, to help our, our elders, help our, that's, that's serving, that's the mind of Christ. Some give up their Sunday afternoons the last few weeks, give up their Sunday afternoon naps, come into special music rehearsals because they understand the value of a soul. Or you give up your Saturdays and Tuesdays or Thursday nights to come work on a building program to try to make more space for our ministries to be able to explain, expand. No, the church isn't buildings, but we're doing it to the glory of God and we need building space in order to be able to house the revival God's sending. So we do it as unto the Lord. This is called serving Him. So we follow the example of Christ by, refer, by preferring one another. Stand with me all over the room. 
Someone has said that members of a church are like grains of wheat being poured and ground together and making bread. Each ingredient to making bread contributes something to the final loaf. In fact, the final product looks and tastes nothing like the individual separate ingredients. But if one ingredient is left out, everybody notices something is off, something is not right. That's what makes the church. That's why your ingredient is important. Well, I'm not much. You know what? I've been the last few days making sausage. and never made it before. I've been trying my luck. Some of it I wanted to throw out. Some of it was pretty good. You put in three or four tablespoons or a quarter cup of this. And then some things you just put in a half a teaspoon. Ah, we could leave that out, but it would affect everything if we did. Somebody says, I don't have much to offer in the church. You and your ingredient is very important. Just keep it under the blood. Don't announce it to the world. Don't announce it to everybody else. I may be small, but I'm valuable in the kingdom. Take on the mind of Christ. Hands lifted all over the room. Everything we do, we do to the glory of God. We don't deserve the credit He does. Receive one another as Christ has received us. We're received into the kingdom of God for the glory of God. That's why we're created, for the glory of God. Everything we do in word or deed, we do it all in the name and unto the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, let's thank the Lord together tonight. Thank you for your word, O oh God. Thank you for your church, O oh God. We are members fitly framed together. We're a building fitly framed together. We're a body of believers. Ah, we honor you, praise you, magnify and lift you up, O oh Lord. We thank you tonight. We thank you tonight. We thank you tonight. God bless you. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for being faithful to Bible.